6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Does prayer really change things? Does God change his mind as a result of believing prayer? Or does God move us to pray? If he changes his mind, maybe it was his initiative causes us to pray to make him change his mind. I personally believe prayer is God's way of enlisting us in what he's doing. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? That's a question I'll let you dwell on a little bit. Who can pray and how do you pray? Can and, and any, why, sh, uh, why should a person pray anyway? These are all good questions for your discussion groups. I'll let you uh, wrestle that through. In any gathering of God's people, these questions are likely to generate different and even contradictory answers. And I'll let you experience that. Prayer is talking with God. It is exclusively for believers only. The only prayer God hears and answers is one that is made through His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Boy, is that exclusionary? Absolutely. Make no apology for that. He is not one way among several. He is the only way. As in all conversations, we must know people well before our conversations can really flow freely. So it's important for you to have a relationship with him. Learn about him. Spend time with him. Boy, we could spend a lot of time just on those issues. There are barriers to prayer. Clinging to some sin in your heart. No, you should come clean to him. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, the psalmist tells us, Psalm 66. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Isaiah 59, first two verses. Are you too soiled to present yourself before the throne? Is that possible? Remember the Christian's bar of soap. John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice whose faithfulness is being dealt with there. It's His faithfulness I can rely on. If we confess sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins because He promised He would and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, you pray for others. We call that intercession, fancy word for simply praying for others. It's the heavy artillery in the armory of God. If you're going to be in the ministry, make sure you've got people interceding for you. We never know 
when the Spirit may move us to hold up a brother or sister in a time of need. And we are inevitably astonished to discover the implications of what may seem but a whisper before the throne room of the universe. Dan and I were in a, one of the KI meetings, going to the Institute meetings, and uh, an elderly gentleman came up to Dan about some other issues too, but he happened to mention with tears in his eyes, his teaching assistant had recently called him on the phone. And um, this guy, uh, 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 out of blue, just the TA called him because she felt moved by the Spirit to do so. And what she didn't know, but the gentleman, the elderly man was telling Dan, what she didn't know was it happened to be a very tough day for him because of the one-year anniversary of his wife's death. And out of the blue, she called to pray with him and so forth. And uh, Dan says, gee, <laughs> would you like to meet her? Because be people you know just because you're in a virtual classroom on the Internet and so forth. And because uh, she happens to be here. And he said, really? And it turned out that Veronica, the gal involved, 19-year-old gal, called her over. And here the 75-year-old guy, both of them with tears, meeting for the first time, but how God used her, spoke, the Spirit spoke to her, to call her, and so forth. And uh, let me give you another example. Trish is a neighbor of ours who happened to be visiting. We, we, live, we live in Coeur d'Alene. The neighbor was visiting New Zealand. And during the Sunday church service in New Zealand, she became overwhelmed with the need to pray for my wife, Nancy. And she did. When she returned to the U.S. and they were comparing notes, they realized that during the church service in New Zealand, it was 5 p.m. Saturday, August 1st, in the United States, the very time that our firstborn son died from a stroke while jogging. Very dark time for us. But Trish, having no knowledge of that, was moved by the Spirit in New Zealand to pray for Nan. And is it, it. So there is a verse. This all leads up to a verse that you want to memorize. In, in a Philippian letter, there's probably a dozen of those that you might want to mark for yourself. You can pick the ones you like. But here's one that you certainly want to include. And that's Philippians 4.6. Be anxious. Be careful is the way it's in the King James. The word actually means anxious. Be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And uh, be careful. Anxious. This is God's cure for anxiety. Experts tell us that stress is one of the most destructive forces in the human predicament. Worry... Some people call, say worry is assuming a responsibility that God didn't intend for you to have. One of my favorites is worry is the, a trickle of fear passing through the mind which soon cuts a crevice so deep that it drains all other thoughts away. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Everything. There's nothing trivial between you and your father. There's no concern you have that is too small to not bring to his attention. He wants to hear from you like any good father would. And what follows 4-6, 4-7? 
And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in or through Christ Jesus. That doesn't promise that you'll receive what you ask for. God knows what our real needs are better than we do. We must also remember to praise God for the prayers that he doesn't answer. <laughs> and the example that's often pointed out, and that's when you go back to a high school reunion. <laughs> and you'll be reminded of the prayers that you were intense with back then that you're glad he didn't answer. <laughs> but I, I'll leave it there and we'll move on. Romans 8.28, and we all know this. I have my Bible tab so I can always find this quickly. I check it once a day sometimes. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I want you to notice that's not true for everybody. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The three most important words in that verse are the first three. We don't suspect. We don't hope. No, no. We know that all things. We know that all things work together for good for them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And also remember Paul's prayer in Romans 15. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. That was Paul's prayer. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come to you with the joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Now, Paul, he was in Corinth, and he was about to go on to Jerusalem with a collection from the Gentile churches. After that, he had planned to travel to Rome as an ambassador for the gospel. <laughs> he, he asked for three things, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, and that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Okay. Were these requests fulfilled? <laughs> yes, they were, but not as he expected. He was delivered and then protected with a two-year imprisonment in Caesarea. The Romans actually arrested him to save his life from the mob. His reception in Jerusalem was hardly what he hoped for. His, joy, his joyous journey to Rome was at government expense as a prisoner in chains. It was with joy and by the will of God indeed, but it was hardly refreshed by the reception of believers there. It was the, 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 the snickering and bickering and criticism of the Christians in Rome that caused Paul to be killed. Many people don't know that story. But he did have the peace of God, which God promised him. Interesting prayer and its fulfillment. Not in the way he thought, but it was um, fulfilled. So God has rules for the doubtful things, by the way. Can a Christian drink alcohol or not? Can a Christian go to a dance? Can he enter politics? Can he work for a company that manufactures war materials? To what extent can a believer adopt the standards of his times and society? Interesting questions. There are three principles 
which should assist in 99% of the situations. I won't say all of them, but practically all of them. Avoid legalism is number one. Romans 6 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. So you avoid legalism. That's probably your first pothole in a Christian walk. Avoid legalism. The book of Galatians is that's what's all about that. Even Peter fell into that trap, and Paul publicly remonstrated him. And yet later, Peter defended the case for liberty at the council, in the Council for Jerusalem, Acts 15. Avoid legalism. At the same time, from Romans 6, 15, avoid the error of license. Avoid the error of license. Grace leads to holiness always. Second thing, all things are not expedient. Paul tells in 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That's perhaps the key, isn't it? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Paul says that uh, twice in that same letter. It's actually the same thing. That does not require us to attempt to live our lives on what some others may say or think. That will lead to hypocrisy. That will lead to schizophrenia and madness. No. And finally, the better things. Okay, you've heard those. This is all a buildup to the eighth verse of Philippians 4. Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, you've all heard that, but we know what makes that thing very surprising? That those virtues are pagan virtues. They are all pagan virtues. These words do not occur in the great lists of Christian virtues. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. They're all taken from Greek ethics and from Greek philosophers. Fellowship with God does not necessarily exclude the best values the world has to offer. Think about that a minute. We can thrive on beauty and music, in art, architecture, literature, and so forth. You don't, let's go on, verse 9. These, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. That's the big word, do. That's a personal imperative. Do it. Don't just talk about it, do it. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. After a lapse of ten years, their loyalty to Paul again results in their giving him, despite the fact that they're, it's a very poor church, very meager resources, but they took care of Paul. That's interesting. Epaphroditus was dispatched to Rome with their gifts for Paul. But he continues here, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And I sometimes, my tongue in my cheek, point out that proves that he was not a Texan. Right? You know he's a Southerner because he always says, Grace to you all. 
But he knows he's not Texan because he's learned whatever state he is there and to be content. And of course, being flippant here. But let's move on. I know both how to be abased and know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to be abound, and to suffer need. Doing whatever it takes is what he's really saying here. And here's this great verse. This is just uh, many, many people's key verse. 4.13. There are a number of athletes that would sign autographs. They'd always put Philippians 4.13 on there. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Wow. Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel which I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. And the word, yeah, the word communicate there is fellowshipping. It's, it's a stronger word. But ye only, he says. You know, it's always illuminating to observe from where our real loyalties endure. How it, it's adversity that separates the real friends from the others. But he goes on here, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that ye that may abound to your account. In other words, he's pleased because they took care of him and they're going to get credit for that. And that's what he's pleased about. Interesting. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Paphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. The God who provides. You know, one of the things that many people do, and I think it's a great idea, and that's to collect promises. They'll make a card file. And they collect God's promises, the precious promises. You usually start with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a precious verse. Romans 8.28. We have to include that in our list here. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are thee called according to his purpose. John 10.9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. And again, later on in that same chapter, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That's one of my favorites. And the, we have to include the, the two that we picked up in the, here in this chapter. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And 1 John 5. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Wow. And if we know that he heareth, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And this is all a build-up to verse 19 of this chapter. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. My God, and indeed, my God, shall supply all your need, every bit of it. What's our greatest need? Forgiveness and fellowship. And he will supply those. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Then he's got a little postscript here. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. This is an echo back to the Praetorians. The word Praetorian does not refer to a physical building. It refers to a group of, uh, the personal um, guard of Caesar. They are Caesar's household. And so we can only speculate on this one. Certainly a significant percentage of the Praetorians that were chained to Paul for entire shifts at a time. Can you imagine being chained to Paul for a whole shift? <laughs> that has to be an experience. The final verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then we have an appendage on most manuscripts that to the Philippians written from Rome by Epaphroditus. That might mean that he simply carried the message to Philippi. It also might mean that he was an amanuensis. And what does that mean? See, it was written by Epaphroditus. So that's a, that's a possibility. Epaphroditus devoted himself to the ministry beyond his physical powers. The exertion was too great and he lost his health and almost his life. His convalescence was accompanied with homesickness and he was depressed by the thought that the Philippians would have heard of this critical state. He was anxious to return to allay their fears. So he's anxious to, to return. Now don't confuse him with Epaphras. Which that's a the names are similar. But he was, one was a native of Philippi and the other of Corinth. But I want to talk a little bit about personal secretaries. It's quite natural that these manual methods, they didn't have carbon paper, didn't have printing in those days. These manual, that's why they call them manuscripts, if you will. They're written, handwritten. Um, would also be accompanied with special sh shortcuts. So if you're in commercial uh, traffic of some kind, uh, accounts, receivables, payables, all that, those required records, and you don't have, so they were uh, shortcuts, aids to facilitate the drudgery that they faced in business. And like all Greeks and Romans of the period, Christian authors and their scribes employed trained secretaries, or amanuenses, trusted helpers, who were well-versed in contemporary literary techniques and scribal methods. And uh, these highly qualified assistants are mentioned frequently in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul and Sosthenes. 2 Corinthians, Paul and Timothy. Timothy was one of these. And Colossians with Timothy, uh, Philippians, Colossians, Second Thessalonians, um, and uh, Sylvanus is one of them. First Peter was written by Sylvanus, which is a Greek variant of Silas. And uh, these were more than ordinary scribes. They were trained professional editors comparable to modern-day political speechwriter. The contra contrast the gritty Hebraic style of Second Peter to the polished Greek of First Peter. People who in translation, recognize that very, very quickly. First Peter was done by a professional. Second Peter by Peter. Second Peter by himself, apparently. Sylvanus was an experienced secretary. had already proved his worth in Paul's in both Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. And to assuage any doubts about the final editorial authenticity, Paul would frequently add his personal secretary in his own handwriting. He did that in First Corinthians six sixteen. He did that in Galatians six, Colossians four. In 2 Thessalonians, the whole letter was written in response to a forgery that was being circulated. So in one of the, one of the most common obligatory qualifications among professionals in the Greco-Roman world was that of a tachographist or shorthand writer. Among the disciples, Matthew, because he was a former customs official, would also likely have had a working knowledge of tach tachography. 
And uh, that's one reason that his he has his the main discourses in there, apparently written verbatim. And just as Tertius and others were able to transcribe Paul's more verbose utterances, uh, Paul leaned on that heavily, partly because he probably had an eye problem also. Even in the Old Testament, in Psalm 45, verse 1, uh, the Hebrew uh, is translated in your Bible, it'll say ready writer in the King James or skillful writer in the NIV. The, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek three centuries before Christ was born, that phrase was oxographos, which is a synonym for tagraph. It's a, a Greek term for shorthand writer. The point I'm making is that was a common term on the street in the, in the third century before Christ. It was a common term. That's why it finds itself in the Septuagint, and it demonstrates that there was that was a professional qualification three centuries before the Gospel period. So we're not fabricating something here. Paul also mentions the technical, in 2 Timothy, he calls for his notebooks. The technical term is membrane. It's a Latin described in the Greek referring to a parchment notebook. That's where we know that codexes were starting. What we call a book with pages is what is called in manuscript words a codex. And codexes were starting because it's much more convenient to have pages than to have these long rolls. And that the codexes were beginning to make their appearance there uh, in, in that period. And, and so, uh, anyway, they're written on both sides. They were pocket-sized, easy to skip through to, for a reference, and they ultimately uh, became a departure from the traditional scrolls, of course. Now, Paul is believed to have visited more than once to Philippi and his other Macedonian churches in the interval between his first and second captivities. Okay, so that, where do you go next? You finished Philippians. Well, you want to pray about it. The main thing you want to do is go where the Spirit leads you. If you haven't studied either Romans or Hebrews, I encourage you to consider them in your prayers. The pastoral epistles are also very practical indeed. But whatever you do, pray about it. And whatever you do, continue, continue your lifetime quest of going through the Word of God. God bless you. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Messler, teaching through the book of Philippians. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, when we begin a new series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.